Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm joined by the co-host of the Locked On Nets podcast, Adam Armbrecht, to break down today's Knicks-Nets game. We get into every aspect of both teams, including their relatively confusing rotations. What's the latest on James Harden's health? Will Harden ultimately reach the ceiling necessary for the Nets to win a title? And we talk about a lot of stuff on the Knicks side as well. This was recorded before the Kemba Walker news, but we get into a little bit the starters versus the bench, how Tibbs can ultimately optimize his lineups, and finally predict who will win the game. So all that and more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Welcome into Locked On Knicks and Locked On Knicks. That's right, a crossover episode for the ages, and we wanted to thank you before anything else. For making Locked On Knicks and Locked On Nets your first listen each and every day. We are now available on all platforms, including, and you know this if you're looking at our beautiful faces, on YouTube. And today's episode is also brought to you by Truebill. Truebill is the new app that saves you money by helping you identify and stop paying for the subscriptions you don't want or need and can even negotiate better deals on those you want to keep. So that's pretty cool. I'm Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. Back into it the last couple of weeks doing Long Island high school football and uh, some some big uh, high school basketball tournaments coming up. And the man that I'm joined by, very excited to say for the first time ever, because we used to do a lot of crossovers with the old host of Locked on Nets, is Adam Armbrecht. Adam hosts Locked on Nets. He also hosts One Giant Podcast. And I'm sure, Adam, I mean, if you, if you want to fill people now, if you want to fill people later, a, a myriad of other things that I'm not even aware of. Oh, well, listen, I, I want to make it clear off the top here. Uh, Doug and I have not been avoiding the Locked On cr- uh, Knicks crew. We haven't been avoiding these crossovers. We, we're excited to get involved in them. So this will be the first, hopefully, of many as we go forward. Um, no, listen, you said it, man. The biggest thing for me coming out of that weekend is uh, a New York football Giants victory. I'm sure a lot of Locked On Knicks fans are probably Giants fans, too. It's been a miserable season, but we survive and we we take what we can get there, and and then we focus our attention on the NBA side of things. We're certainly, I think, for both of us, right, more more success on the horizon for our our respective teams in in a season that um, is building quarter of the way through, right, and a lot I, I think to take away after the first twenty games. Yeah, more a little little more so for you guys than for us, unfortunately. But we'll we'll get into that right now. Um, Adam, why, why don't you? I, I appreciate you not taking the shot though. That, that's a that's a big step. It's all about relationship building. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, but let let me. What, what is the latest with the Brooklyn Nets? Because obviously a very, uh, I mean, tumultuous offseason feels strong, but at, at the same time, like realistic with, with all, the whole Kyrie Irving situation. And that, I mean, that that is a very big deal. That was the Brooklyn Nets going from the overwhelming favorites to win the NBA championship to. One of uh, one of a couple of favorites to win an NBA championship, and it felt like that game against the Warriors was was a little bit of a shot across the pond. I mean, I mean, a big a big moment, I think, for the entire league yeah. to say that this version of the Nets is beatable, that this version of the Warriors is very very good. But since then, um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think Brooklyn's been pretty exceptional and seems to be finding their way. But Adam, I'm not the expert; you are. What's going on with the Brooklyn Nets? 
Yeah, listen, we just talked about it coming off of the uh, the game over the weekend, Saturday night against the Phoenix Suns. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets are 7-6 and six against teams above 500. You go back and listen to our last episode, Doug goes into the contenders, the teams considered in the hunt in both uh, the Eastern and Western Conference that the, that the Nets have not performed well against. So, you know, it's it's hard. We, we spent a lot of time this season saying, patient, everything shifted once Kyrie wasn't going to be playing. All of a sudden, James Harden's role has to look different. The referees are calling the games different, on and on. We all know what's new about the NBA this year. But for the Brooklyn Nets, it's about figuring out these roles and who's going to fit into these slots. And of late, the biggest question mark now becomes the five. You know, LaMarcus Aldrich looks phenomenal, but what are you going to do in behind them? Because matchup to matchup, mentioned the Golden State Warriors game, good guard play. Good guard play is a problem for the Brooklyn Nets on the defensive end, and, and that's the latest one. Over the next quarter of the season, it's how do you improve defensively and get a level of consistency behind who we regard as the, the best player in the league right now and Kevin Durant, but it seems like that's not enough, at least at the moment for Brooklyn. One absolutely elite superstar talent is not going to get the job done. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's sort of been the story for the New York Knicks this year, right? Everyone, I mean, Adam, go ahead. No, because I, I was going to ask you on, on that end of it, um, coming from last year into the season with the with Julius Randle and understanding what an incredible season he had, how valuable he is to the Knicks, but then also thinking that the offseason was going to be about bringing in more talent and making it so that Julius Randle didn't have to be the most important piece. Hot start for the Knicks at the beginning of the year. Have you been, are, are Knicks fans concerned about the idea that Julius Randle is your leading scorer? that he was supposed to, I, I thought, be more dominant in a support role, and yet you're seeing this inconsistent performance from him. Does he fully get where his role is supposed to be now? Are the Knicks a, are the Knicks a well-rounded team right now, or are they still figuring out a lot of stuff? I think they are still. They're, they're definitely. I, I don't think. I know. They're still figuring yeah. out a lot of stuff, and I think identity is at the core of the issue, right? Because last year they had far less talent. Like there's no, there's no real counter argument to that, but they absolutely knew who they were. They were a defensively oriented team that would bring that element every single night. And once they got Derrick Rose, they had enough explosiveness. They had enough offense to win a lot of games and even win a lot of games against very good teams. And this year that identity has very much been muddied. Right. And, and I think Julius Randall to some extent is at the core of it because he was a guy who became very, very confident because he knew exactly what he had to do every night. And that was everything, right? He had he had to be the playmaker. He had to be the scorer. He had to right. play bully ball inside. He had to hit threes. He had to hit crazy, like, turnaround, fadeaway mid-range jumpers. And he was doing it because he was empowered, and it was it was an absolute necessity. And then this year, you bring in Kemba Walker, you bring in Evan Fournier, and all of a sudden, there these questions pop up. It's like, all right, am I still that guy? Am I supposed to be passing the ball here? Am I supposed to be trying to get Evan going? Am I supposed to be trying to get Kemba going? Am I supposed to be looking for my own shot? And I think that confusion in Randall has resulted in sort of team-wide confusion and, and a lack of, particularly in the starting lineup, right? Because the bench has been one of the two or three best lineups in the entire NBA, starters included. Um, but in the starting lineup, that's led to like a lot of um, incoherency, for lack of a better term. And, and a is that on that, Thibodeau? Is, I, that, is that Thibodeau's responsibility in the offseason? You bring in these new pieces to say, like, and now I whether it's having a sit-down conversation with Randall and saying it's going to look different this year. You're still crucial, but it's not going to look the same because that that to me is a disconnect of Randall shouldn't be out there thinking that he's responsible or, or needing to do more than, than is expected of him. I think it's I think it's on Tibbs. I think it's on the front office. I don't think you can really blame one person. I, I think the hmm. issue is 
I don't think Tibbs knows that that is the right answer, right? I, I don't. I don't think Tibbs right. is. Can, I don't. I don't think Tibbs is telling Julius every night, "Hey, man, you got to pare it back." I think sometimes he's probably saying, "Like, we need you to ramp it up," and sometimes he's saying, "Hey, that's a little too much." It's finding this like very, very fine balance with like a whole lot of variables constantly shifting around him. And it was interesting last night for the Knicks, or two nights ago for the Knicks against the Hawks. Everything sort of fit into place when when Kemba Walker and Derrick Rose were out, and it wasn't because those guys were out. It was just that everyone knew their role, and, and everyone and, and you had less talent but people knew exactly what they were supposed to be doing and they fit into that. And Randall had, I think something like eight points. He didn't score in the first half and he looked great because he was just at ease saying like, Oh, I can like the Hawks are going to orient their whole defense around me. I know what I have to do. I can just distribute mm-hmm. and be a decoy, but that identity is not clear night tonight. And until it is, I don't think the Knicks will find a whole lot of success this year, but Adam, why don't we take a quick break and why don't you tell everyone about uh, true bill? You better believe it. Gavin mentioned at the top of the show here, Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, that you don't want, or simply forgot about. I do it all the time. I'm paying multiple subscriptions, sometimes to the same apps. So why waste that money when on average people save up to $720 a year with Truebill? Because companies like to make subscriptions hard to cancel. Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. Truebill's concierge, fancy term for negotiator, is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Of course, don't fall for the subscription scams anymore. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Get there right now. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. We talk about this then getting back into where these teams are and obviously the matchup that's going to be coming up here between these two teams. The Nets wasted a really good opportunity in front of a a packed house on Saturday night, maybe to put on a bit of a show and get a win over the Suns. Do you do you look at these games as, you know, city benchmark games? We're going to get into players and the big personalities and personnel. But but do you look at these as do you think that the team do the Knicks? I think I assume they do look at it and go, Kevin Durant, James Harden, we'll show you what this is about. We'll show you that we're capable of matching up against you because this is a team that maybe overachieved last year as far as a seeding standpoint. And I think coming into this year very much looks at the East and says, we're in this mix here. But you do have to look at some of these challenges. And as we've always said on our podcast, targets on the back, right? You see Brooklyn, you see Kevin Durant, you say, we want to make a statement to the rest of the league that we can take down a top team. Yeah, I absolutely. And I think that was so true last year, right? Where the Knicks played incredibly hard in those games. I, I remember I'm trying to, I think it was a post all-star break, but they had that really close one where it was, was it James Harden defending someone on the final shot? I don't, I don't quite remember all the details, but the Knicks were very shorthanded and they, they went into Barclays and almost won. And, and it was yep. moments like that, that gave you a very clear depiction of what that Knicks team was. And then this year you, I mean, you cut to the, the Suns game, but I mean, we, we were both just tormented by the Suns, right. Um, for the Knicks and the Suns <laughs> just came in and maybe there was a little extra motivation because of Tibbs beat Monty Williams for coach of the year, the season before, but they come out and just like decimate the Knicks and, and they made it, they made it look easy. And the Knicks, like, it wasn't even that they didn't have a lot of fight. It's just that they were so outclassed. And I think until the Knicks find themselves, and maybe last night, like, the Knicks brought a little of last year's energy just because the majority of the guys that were playing were, like, the younger guys. Like, they had a lineup in the fourth quarter that was all players 23 and – I mean, unless you think Obi Toppin's 35. It was all players 23 and under. Um, and that was, like, that was the energy they needed. And they, they got the energy from Randall that they needed him running the floor. Um, and that version of the Knicks, I think this will be a scrappy, fun, competitive game. If instead you sort of get this like lackadaisical starting unit that seems pretty interest, disinterested in playing each other, 
I don't know, like they're going to, Tibbs will say all the right things. They'll come out and like hit a team in the mouth like they did against the Lakers. But I don't know if they have the consistency quarter to quarter to keep bringing that. But how about this Nets team, Adam? Because I, I think you made a good point earlier. And I'm talking to friends who are Nets fans. They made the same point to me. It's almost an inversion of last year where last year, like the Nets could really bring it for big games. And then against mm-hmm. lesser teams, sometimes they'd fall asleep at the wheel and say, ah, this doesn't really matter. But this is a Nets team that has done has built up a really good record by decimating the teams that they should. Um, do you see that as, as a likely outcome in this game? And, and what does that say about the mentality of this Nets team? Yeah, I mean, you know, mentality just versus who's available to you. So, I mean, you have a couple of little things like Bruce Brown just got back in the last game against the Suns. You've been without Joe Harris for a little while now in the absence of Kyrie Irving. I'm not I'm trying not to focus in on that piece of it, but the impact it has on the rotations of this roster is you go and get what the NBA at large considers to be a steal in the offseason by bringing in Patty Mills. But now you shuffle him up into the starting rotation when Joe Harris is out. Well, now who fills in 30 minutes from Joe Harris? You don't have the same level of perimeter consistent shooting on this roster that you had going back to last year. There's there's different players that can be effective, but the biggest thing that we're seeing, we had called for Blake Griffin, uh, if you're if a Nets fan, blue-collar boy uh, champion over for the Brooklyn Nets, but there's a reality here. He's been disastrous on the offensive end, so they bench him, they insert LaMarcus Aldridge, but the same problem persists on the defensive end getting hunted down on switches by guards. And to your point about good teams, quality teams, say, will the Knicks come out lackadaisical? Well, if you can attack early, this is the area of the Nets defense that's been pretty strong this year overall. This is the area that they do not have an answer for right now. And that's where you end up in these kind of track meet games. Go back to Saturday night, Phoenix Suns. You're down by 20. You close it out. You only lose by seven. You make a run of it. But the problem is getting stops. The Nets are not capable of doing that right now. And you don't have the offensive consistent firepower because James Harden, triple-double, not a good triple-double. It's the old Russell Westbrook kind of dispelled the quality of triple-doubles in the NBA sometimes. He's still figuring a lot of things out. So this this team is in a state of flux. And when, you, when I look over at the Knicks, I, I do think whatever you feel about Evan Fournier in that pickup, right, whatever you feel about Julius Randle in the state of his game, they're capable of being explosive. So I, the first five minutes of this game are going to be interesting to see how both teams come out because there is a world where they both come out last of days are going flat and we kind of drudge our way to an interesting game as it goes along. I kind of have a feeling it's going to be a fun game. I, I think both teams are sort of due for a, for a night of, of, of peaking simultaneously. But I, before we wrap up the second segment, Adam, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about Harden, and I'm sure that's probably a daily conversation on Locked on Nets. But what have you made of his performance this season? Because if I was a Nets fan, I mean, obviously the, the Kyrie stuff, I mean, to your point, it's like, it's whatever. It's so it's so out of everyone's control that there's there's not really much point in thinking about it or talking about it. But Harden is, is more interesting to me because he's peak Harden and peak Durant. That's that's just enough as a baseline to win a championship, right? Those two guys are just that good. But I don't know if it's the rule changes. I don't know if it's – I mean, the guy has like a billion miles on him, as, as everyone's already talked about. Are, are you worried that this is just who he is at this point? Or have the flashes of like the old Harden sort of convinced you like he will round into form, it, he will take his own time, but eventually we're getting the James Harden that can can go win you a title with Kevin Durant? Yeah, yes. Short answer, yes. I think James Harden's going to be fine. There's a couple of the little wrinkles, the adjustments from the refs. He got over that pretty quickly. Now it's about, though, is is he getting that step past the defenders when he's driving to the basket and, and able to finish at the rim? We've seen some really big free throw nights from him where he's gotten to the line with consistency, but he was quoted just within the last couple of days as saying, I'm still not sure what my role is and what I need to do first in these games. Do I need to facilitate first? Do I need to score first? And there's 
a little bit of a disconnect in that regard because he, he's been here since last season. He's played without Kevin Durant. He's played without Kyrie Irving. So the chances have been there for him. But the big wrinkle is the Nets started with uh, Nicholas Claxton at the five to start the season. He's dealing with a nondescript illness that we're not sure about. Uh, they brought in Paul Millsap. He's been a zero so far. Uh, you bring in LaMarcus Aldridge. The, the problem is all these guys I'm listing, they all have different versions of their skill set. So on a couple of possessions when you have Nick Claxton healthy, it's about the lob game, high pick and roll, get to the basket. That's where Harden wants to go. Well, you can't do that with LaMarcus Aldridge. With LaMarcus Aldridge, you want to drive, penetrate, and then kick to him at the elbow. So you're having these different kind of pieces around him, and I think that's why it's hard for him as opposed to Kevin Durant, who gets to his spots and gets his shots. So yes, he'll be okay, but we're, we're getting down to this point over the next 20 games. If you don't feel like you're seeing the consistency around James Harden, if you don't think that the answer is there alongside him in the backcourt, the Nets may get to a place here where they start to look around. And as we often say at the deadline, you know, buy out barren kind of market guys. There's not just an easy solve out there. So the overall success of the team is still this little bit of a looming question mark. The state of James Harden's game, I think that's going to be fine. All right, so you're betting on James Harden. I will always bet on one of our favorite sponsors, Bet Online. It's Thanksgiving, and we all know what that means. Football. And nothing goes better with football than turkey and betting. BetOnline has you covered all holiday season, more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the sports action this Thanksgiving. So head to our new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus with promo code Locked On to receive that bonus. And it's not just football. BetOnline has pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, and even your favorite Vegas casino games. So don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, we're stuffed with deals this Thanksgiving, and we are stuffed with hype for Knicks Nets coming up tonight. Um, and Adam, I guess I guess this is where we can go into like more matchup specific stuff. Um, I guess I, I maybe maybe this is more of a net specific question, but I'm cu- curious about how it interacts with the Knicks because a big issue for the Knicks this year has been figuring out their rotation. And Tibbs a year ago, he was all about line changes, right? It, it, it was the starters. And then it was the bench. And then that carried over through the first, say, like 12 to 15 games of this season for the Knicks. And in some ways, that made a lot of sense because the bench, I mean, of Derek Rose, Emmanuel Quickly, Alec Burks, Obi Top, and Nerlens Noel, so, so good together, right? You plug in Taj Gibson in there, that's fine. You keep it to Robinson with the bench, guys. You plug in one starter, that's fine. As long as the core three or four of those dudes are on the court at the same time, they're going to dominate opponents. But as we've seen, and as I mentioned, the starters, the exact opposite was true. And, and now with some injuries, we've seen Tibbs mix it up. We had, I, I mentioned that all. The lineup of all younger guys, we've seen R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle playing with like Emmanuel quickly, Obi Toppin and Alec Burks, and Toppin and Randle together, especially offensively, has been really, really deadly. And for the Knicks, the the balance has been how can you combine the the talent of the starters with the energy of the bench and find the best possible versions of that without uh, robbing Mary to pay P- – I forgot that analogy, but um, – wrong. Peter Paul the, somebody. Yeah, Peter Paul, sure, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, Jewish day school didn't, didn't teach that one to me. Um, but anyways, um, Adam, <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of get a feel for the, for the Nets rotations because I think I think that'll be a fascinating aspect of this one. Like like maybe the Knicks starters dominate, or rather the Nets starters dominate. The Knicks starters, the Knicks bench dominates the Nets bench. But how has Steve Nash figured out what lineups work best for this team? What is the split between Kevin Durant and James Harden getting solo minutes? And, and where are the Nets at just in terms of establishing an identity in terms of who they want on the, on the court and win? I know you mentioned that like injuries have, have certainly complicated that. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's been interesting. So the the, the big switch active decision recently was Blake Griffin to the bench and LaMarcus Aldridge into the starting lineup. And then even subsequently, Blake Griffin getting DNP healthy scratches from games as well. Um, you have the emergence of a guy like DeAndre Bembry. He kind of gives you another version of Bruce Brown, but with a little more length defensively, better at slashing at the basket on the offensive end. Uh, the consistent lineup that they've been running with now, and Bruce Brown just got back, but they were going with Kevin Durant, James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, Patty Mills getting into the lineup in the absence of Joe Harris, and then Bembry has gotten a couple of starts here too. It's interesting to think about if they'll shift off of that at all. The process has been trial and error, um, and we we talked about a little bit of saying, why weren't you going with what worked to start the year when we talk about Bruce Brown not getting starting minutes? Eventually, Nash gets there. I, I think what we're learning is that they're, they're trying everything now because they know there's something they need to figure out here. And you mentioned starters on starters. Yeah, maybe the Nets are going to have the advantage there, but the Nets know only only having what a, what a shame. We only have two superstars that you need to then spread out those minutes. So you have consistent scoring again, the impact of not having Patty Mills as the you know sixth man, first guy off the bench that hurts you in terms of carryover to the second unit, putting LaMarcus Aldridge in, into the starting rotation. Good. Problem is, you don't have anyone right now between injuries and otherwise to replace him off the bench as well. So to to whatever that adage is, the Nets have pulled from the bench in order to satisfy the starting rotation. So it'll be interesting to see. I actually, I do wonder if, you know, I, I was keeping an eye on, on a guy like R.J. Barrett. This is where it gets a little bit interesting because as the Nets start to spread out Durant and Harden's minutes, I look at R.J. Barrett calling card, Seems to be the defensive end. Offense can come and go with him. And when it's on, then this is a two-way player that's phenomenal. He's big enough. He has enough size. We talk about what's the the element that could hurt James Harden is getting stopped or frustrated defensively. Do you look at that matchup on your side of things and say, R.J. Barrett, offense be damned. We need you to have an impact on this game defensively, frustrating whatever the guard matchup may be, whatever the switches may be. Because the Knicks, at the very least, do have some size advantage matchups across this board where you go, win this here, and that's the starting point for us to have real success. Absolutely. And I, that that's sort of been the key for RJ the last few weeks where he's he shot horrifically bad, right? The last 10 or so games, he's been basically the least efficient, like, I don't even know, starter, I think maybe even rotation player in the NBA. Like, that, that's that's how dark it's gotten. Killing RJ my fantasy Barrett. team. But yeah, sorry, sorry, Adam. Yeah, I'm sure that, that's his number one <laughs> Thank concern you. right Thank now. Thank you. Um, yeah, all of, of Knicks Nation is behind you. Um, but um, yeah, he uh, last night he played, he had a really good game. It was because he didn't force the issue, right? He he, he just played the pick and roll. And, and in the pick and roll, he was trying to be a distributor. He, he got Kevin Herter on his back repeatedly and was doing that to set up lobs to whether it was Jericho Sims or Mitchell Robinson or nifty interior passes. And then he took mismatches when they came. Like he got John Collins out on the perimeter, was able to drive him, little reverse spin move, fadeaway jumper. It, it was gorgeous. Hit open threes. Um, that That is all the Knicks need out of him right now. And I, I think he, he had this couple game stretch with five straight 20 point games in a row. And I don't want to say it's delusions of grandeur because look, he, he's ultimately like along with Emmanuel quickly, like the future of this Knicks team, like he, he should be doing that. But with the poor shooting, it's okay for him to take a step back. And honestly, I think his ultimate destiny in the NBA might be more of a fill in the blanks guy than like a number one alpha dog type scorer. And that's just fine. If he's the best version of that, because we've seen him have really impactful moments defensively. Like I always go back to last season's Clippers game where he was 
dogging Kawhi Leonard. Look, Kawhi was still like mm-hmm. he was getting off shots. He was hitting turnarounds on him. Same is going to be true for James Harden. Is that that's just it's always going to be true for the best scorers in the NBA. It's, can you make those guys work? And RJ at his best can absolutely do that. So I'm I'm into that matchup. And I thought the other night against the Hawks was a very good step in that direction for him. But Adam, if you're looking for like a particular Nets role player to step up in this game, not Kevin Durant, not James Harden, who, who who's the guy that Knicks fans should be on the watch for? Yeah, you know, I mentioned Bembry, and he just had a bit of a breakout offensive performance, 18 points uh, against the Suns, so certainly he's capable of doing that. Bruce Brown just getting back into the mix. I, listen, this may be an easy one, but but Patty Mills is the guy in the absence of Joe Harris. He has shot otherworldly from beyond the arc. At one point was leading the league and not on a small volume from from three. That's a pretty consistent part of what matters to this Brooklyn Nets team. Again, from the starting unit into the second unit, as you start to flex these minutes out a little bit, when Patty Mills has come in, he's been electric. He's been able to get to his spots. He works off the ball very well, which is a nice facet of his game as a guard. You don't have to have him on ball. He doesn't have to be setting the table. He can just spot up and get his looks, and he's been kind of that that, that spark plug. When things have lulled a little bit, he can fire in and give you some minutes like that. So I think... We talk about these matchups, defensive upside for the Knicks in some key areas. That's going to be a burst spot for the Nets, whether it starts in the starting unit and then gets muddled over the course of the game. If you start to shut down Patty Mills, if Patty Mills is off, if the Knicks can find the right matchups there defensively, you take Patty Mills out of this, now all of a sudden even more pressure gets put onto James Harden and you start to really get down to the place short of a surprise performance from a role player of, Kevin Durant, LaMarcus Aldridge. Those become the two big scores, and then whatever Harden's going to give you. So if I'm if I'm giving a blueprint, don't send this over to uh, Tibbs. But, you know, get get James Harden on a 4-for-15 triple-double like he had the other night. That's that's great. Let him be facilitating. Let him be frustrated. Let him not get his looks. There There is a path here for the Knicks to be very much in this game. You know, for whatever it's worth, we, we don't look past the Knicks. I don't have that rivalry piece of it as far as not respecting what the Knicks are doing. They're a dangerous team with a lot of size and players like Julius Randle in this one, play, players like even Obi Toppin. He can have an interesting game here because he's athletic, has size, has strength. So there's concerns across this. But um, to, to be short-winded on a long-winded response, watch out for Patty Mills. If he's on on point from the outside, then the Nets can really get rolling offensively. Yeah, I think that would be my concern. And that's what we saw from the Suns where they came out just nailing threes. And then the Knicks, it, it was over before it started. Um, on the Knicks side of things, like Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin are, are sort of the two obvious guys to cite. They're, they're the the heartbeat of this Knicks team. And, and as they go, the Knicks go when they're playing with energy, which is pretty much every night. And they're playing with Verve and, and with Kemba Walker out the other night when they actually get enough time on the court. Um, they can they can change the entire field of this Knicks team. But I'm, yeah. Do you like Evan Fournier? I mean, because he's a guy, <laughs> he's been a Nets killer in his time in Orlando for a number of years. In my perspective, some some Knicks fans got a little bit overexcited about getting him in the offseason. Do, do you like what he's giving you this year? There's been some great performances. There's been some inconsistency. Is it is it hard to look at him and say, hey, you're kind of supposed to you know, be pretty crucial to what we do here. And it, it feels a little bit akin to the Julius Randle scenario of, maybe expecting a little bit more from a guy than you really should. Yeah, I think that was, look, I, I was, you, you could have been subtweeting me there. I, I was definitely that Knicks fan, right? Because I was looking at someone who was a perennial, like high level, pretty efficient scorer in Orlando where he was getting the bulk of top defense's attention night in and night out. I was saying, are oh, you translate that into a smaller role? Like this was a guy who shot 46% from three last year on the Boston Celtics mm-hmm. when he actually had talent around him. I was like, why can't he do that for the Knicks? And opening night of the season scores 32 points against Boston. You're like, yep, 
that is what I expected. Like this is, he's going right. to, he's going to be not, not that he's going to average 30, but that this will be a hyper efficient offensive season. He will be one of the best supporting pieces in the entire NBA. And then that has gone away because his three point shots stopped dropping. And it feels like he doesn't have enough time with the ball to get in rhythm, doing anything else in terms of working his way into mid range in terms of working his way entirely to the basket. But I think he is starting to figure it out a little bit, right? And that means the three point shot is coming along, which is, is not an every night thing, but over a larger sample size, we're seeing him turn into the guy that he's been his whole career, which is a, pretty much a 40% three point shooter, but also someone who can be opportunistic and is learning to take advantage of his opportunities. And frankly, like I, I was probably like a little bit too presumptuous in terms of how quick he would adjust because it's hard to go from being the number one guy for the last four or five years, along with Nikola Vucevic um, to being the fourth option on offense. And, yep. and he's slowly figuring that out and saying, all right, that means every time, um, I get a kick out off an offensive rebound and a defense is unsettled. I have to find a way to get all the way to the basket, or I have to find a way to create something for Julius Randle or Julius create something for me. I need to be aggressive about seeking out my shot. And he's, I think slowly, but surely he's, he's finding that balance and he's a key piece for this team. The guy I was going to shadow is Alec Burks who the last few games he's done yes. essentially what I expected Evan Fournier to do. I mean, particularly the other night rained four threes on the Hawks, uh, 23 points, seven boards, three assists in that game it's been spectacular defensively and it's been because unless Evan Fournier is red hot Tibbs has actually been trusting Burks to close a lot of these games over Fournier I think because he likes him a little bit more defensively but I, I, I'm hoping Tibbs can find a good balance there and I'm hoping you can just on a night-to-night basis say one of those guys is always going to be coming through and and knowing that the Knicks have that option they're closing lineup I think it changes the entire outlook of their team and one of those guys is really shooting well from three yeah listen that that, that the Phillies like the theme for both of us right the the two-way production from some of these supporting cast and role players if you can be impactful on the defensive end and hit some timely shots that that's how you win in the margins on a lot of these games a little bit different from the higher level talent we'll say that the nets have at the top of their roster versus the knicks who i think just have this great collection of you know 2a 1a talent and this is this is, this is a compliment they have such a nice collection of it the hard part as you've said is is figuring out where where are these little minute shares where are these little key matchups and how do we find six moments in a game to have a really big play, a really big impact that swings the tide. So I, I'm excited for it. Obviously, I want the Nets to win, but but this is a nice, again, another nice test. The, the Knicks there at the back end of the Eastern Conference right now, but I, every 15, 20 games or so is a chance, especially in the East, to see this stuff rotate over. And um, I, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm, I'm hoping for a good one because I like these kind of battles inside the city. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a fun game. All right, Adam, uh, let, let's end on this uh, prediction. I, I think I can guess which direction you'll go, but but let me hear it. No, listen, I, I will take the Nets. Uh, you know, I just think, again, NBA games for the most part, championships are won when you have the highest talent, and the Nets do have that. However, the, all everything I've laid out in this episode tells you that there are still these weaknesses and areas of concern. Bench on bench is going to be interesting, and the R.J. Barrett defensive impact, that's what I look at. Uh, I will take the Nets to win this. I think the first five minutes of this game are crucial for both teams. I don't expect it to be a blowout, but when it's all said and done, I'll have the Nets plus seven, you know, seven to 10, I think, and maybe a couple of key opportunities. And and Evan Fournier missed outside triple off the bench that doesn't help them kind of surge back in. Maybe Tibbs goes, he goes rogue and doesn't play someone who's been really hot hand lately in, in Burks and gives the Nets a little bit of an out on the back end of it. All right, I'll uh, I'll surprise people because I'm usually realistic and pessimistic. I guess would be the way of it. But I I'll, I'll take the Knicks in this game just because I think they are they are due for that. I mean, look, the Hawks win was arguably the best of their season, but they're due for a great performance against a great team, a night where everything clicks. I almost like 
I'd almost be surprised if it was a close Knicks loss. Like I think it sort of goes one way or the other where either the Nets just run them or if the Knicks are in it, they, they, they find a way to pull it out. But I, I just, I, I think, I think the Knicks come out and just uh, to use, to use an all time cliche, I think they want it a little bit more. I think the Knicks really need this game. I think the Nets are sort of just like, eh, it's whatever. Um, but maybe, maybe I'm proven wrong on that. All right. We will see Adam Armbrecht uh, one final time. Where, where can people find uh, all your work? Yeah, listen, you can find me covering the New York Football Giants on the One Giant Podcast over on Twitter at Adam Armbrecht. And because he is my co-host uh, at Doug Norrie, Blue Checkmark Certified, and also giving you daily fantasy coverage on his business owner and operator, DFSR, for all your daily fantasy needs. That's that's us. That's what we do here, friends, covering the Brooklyn Nets for the people. All right, just so I don't come off as a jerk, uh, I will shout out Alex Wolf, uh, editor-in-chief <laughs> of the Strickland, uh, at Alex Wolf on Twitter with an E at the end of it. Uh, he is, as everyone on Knicks Nation knows, and Nets Nation is, is free to find out, he is absolutely fantastic. I am Gavin Shaw, uh, at Locked on Knicks on Twitter, because my main account got hacked. So follow along there. Uh, that'll be resolved at some point, hopefully. <laughs> but until next time, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, Adam, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure this is the first of many, man. We'll, we'll do it again soon. 